0: We are back and this is hour two of Aviva Martin in real time and in this hour we're talking about ring cameras and their relationship to the police and African American communities. Joining me in this hour is Lom Vo. She is the professor, she is a professor of journalism at City College of New York and a reporter at The Markup. Also joining us is Dave Moss. He is a director of investigations at the Electronic Frontier Foundation and head of the Atlas of Surveillance Project. Welcome, Dave, and welcome, Lom. Uh, let's start with you, Lom. You broke this story. So tell us what led you to, uh, you know, what was the impetus for you to even do an investigation on these ring cameras, and what did you find as you were doing your investigation?
1: Thank you so much for having me. So I was interested in this because we all know what social media is like. If you've been on Nextdoor or Citizen or Neighbors, which is what the story is about, the social platform that's part of Ring Cameras, you notice that there's a certain way in which people tend to speak about, let's say, Black and Latinx folks on those platforms. And when I found out that Ring, the camera um, the camera system that owns Neighbours, the social platform, works with police, I really wanted to see what kind of information is being sent to police. And mm-hmm. so we looked into, um, there are 2,604 police departments across the country that currently have special access to neighbors, which is the social platform that's attached to Ring doorbell camera users. If you own a Ring doorbell, you can see something suspicious, so to speak, and then put it onto that platform. And whenever you put something on that platform um, that is considered a crime, it gets automatically forwarded to a police officer who uh, might have signed up for that particular service. And so imagine a lot of people who are kind of like looking at their camera footage and see something suspicious sometimes that kind of like language can be code for a lot of racial bias who does belong and doesn't belong in a neighborhood and now take all of this information that is being posted on these social platforms oftentimes people talking about homeless people, people talking about Black folks in their neighborhood, people talking about Latin uh, Latino folks in the neighborhood that quote-unquote don't, don't belong. And now imagine all of that information being forwarded to police officers and sergeants. We found 13,000 of these alerts that were forwarded to LAPD. And we found that um, some of these police officers or detectives and sergeants, one or two had 10,000 emails that were crime alerts in their mailbox being inundated with this kind of information about supposed crime that is posted by people. And all of us know that these social media platforms are not the most reliable platforms for information, especially not about the neighborhood.
0: Let me ask you this, um, If you live in a particular neighborhood and you post about your crime, Does the alert go to police that are also in your neighborhood or it goes out citywide to all police? So it depends
1: on what the police officer chose. Ring courted LAPD very early on and brought on uh, and trained them up according to emails that we found through public records requests. They um, were helping them navigate the system. So if a police officer wanted to have a bunch of different alert zones, they're called alert zones. If they wanted to just get a lot of information, they would. If they wanted to go into specific neighborhoods, they could select that too. So it's really up to police. um, So there's no
0: geographic connection between, so if I live in say Beverly Hills, and Ooh. I'm making a report of some suspicious conduct, a police in you know, downtown LA could get an alert about that suspicious behavior in Beverly Hills? If they wa- were signing up for that zone, yes. Okay, and then did you, in your investigation, what would that police do? Because obviously the, L- the police that's in downtown LA doesn't have jurisdiction for a crime that's happening in Beverly Hills. So mm-hmm. what would happen? So two things are important
1: to know about the story. Imagine you being constantly told over and over again through social media that black people don't belong in a certain neighborhood. And then you might over time internalize that into your way of understanding the neighborhood, right? The second thing that's really important is that they hear disproportionately from people who are white. So there's been a few studies um, that were done. People who are richer, and um, people who are whiter tend to post more on these social platforms, which means that the community that police hear from, if they're using the service, is disproportionately white and richer. And so imagine them thinking about who is the community that they're serving? What are the needs and what are the concerns of that community? Those are the kinds of messages that they hear. So. They might be using it to do investigations, but most of the time it's just something in the inbox that kind of keeps on coming in and keeps on bringing in thoughts that oftentimes have a lot of coded racial bias in them.
0: So, Dave, jump in here. Uh, You know, how much do people know about this when they actually purchase these cameras? And then, are are there any, uh, you know, warnings given to you when you walk on someone's porch or you come to someone's house? That you're being recorded. Like what are there any you know requirements that you notify people that they are going to be recorded and that their information could be sent out to these uh, police through these alert zones?
2: Well, you know this is really you know, comes down to ring being a company and they want you to get as invested in their program and their software as possible. So when you buy a camera, they're promoting it at you. If you register your camera, they're going to, you know, send you promotional emails to try to get you involved in neighbors. As far as, you know, whether you would know, I mean, if you know what a ring camera looks like, then that's basically it. You know, maybe there are some people who have taken the extra step to add a, you know, you're being watched right next to their like beware of the dog sign. But that isn't necessarily common practice for a lot of people. So I think that a lot of people see these doorbells and they don't notice they're there. And so they're showing up on video, but it's not even just that, like, you don't have to go up to somebody's door. I mean, these cameras, and they're not just cameras, they're cameras and microphones. So these cameras are capturing things out on the street, kids walking by houses. It can pick up conversations for like dozens of feet. So it might listen to people. Um, and then it's, you know, people are, you know, like, like Long said, people are getting this, like, you know, these very aggravating push messages and it's it's getting them wound up and it's, they're internalizing it psychologically, getting addicted to this app like they would anything else. Um, but also, you know, remember Ring will be pushing to people's phones as well. Anytime somebody walks by their house. And so that also can be addictive. And then That's where you start seeing people reporting stuff more to to the neighbors app, pushing out anything that they see as out of the ordinary, as suspicious, or just taking out their aggression on people they don't know.
0: Are there any regulations? So you just said you can have a ring camera on your door and it literally can capture people walking down the street. It can record conversations. Now, obviously, you probably don't have any reasonable expectation of privacy when you're walking down a public street in a neighborhood, but it just seems like this is a whole lot of surveillance taking place of individuals by non-trained personnel, right? So I don't have any training in, you know, how I protect someone's privacy rights or constitutional rights to privacy. I just stick a camera on my door and now have all this footage of people, Uh, some uh, who are visiting me and some who are not.
2: I mean, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing a merger of the police surveillance state and the sort of citizen, put that in big quotation marks there, um, you know, the citizen surveillance state where police are leveraging their average person or often the average white wealthy person to help build out their their surveillance network. Now, regulatory wise, you know, there are some states where you do are required to put up a sign or some cities where you might be required to put up a sign if you're recording something. There are definitely some laws out there about where you can record audio, but you're right, like the 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 expectation of privacy walking on the street can be somewhat limited. Now, that said, I have seen dentists' offices inside of buildings put a ring camera out front. And I certainly feel at least like I have an expectation of privacy when I'm walking into my doctor's office.
0: Why, uh, just just curious, why, why a dentist? I mean, <laughs> what are I, dentists concerned about? I don't know, Arif, I'm not a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> definitely a much more lucrative. It just kind of struck me being like, being okay, a, is there some something going on in the dentist's office that we need to be aware of? Well, no, they not,
2: just want to know who's at the door before right. they come, you know. And
0: they, so, those cameras
1: are so ubiquitous now. They're so cheap. And what's also important is that people feel safer, even if they might, those cameras might not prevent petty theft, right? Like there's been a few studies. I literally talked to a porch piracy expert, right? Someone who studies package theft, and he mentioned that. They, of all the videos he studied, people, if they steal a package, they will still look into the camera and take the package <laughs> with them, you know? And so there's a lot of things that seem to be selling you sort of like a, a peace of mind through surveillance that don't actually give you an effective way of preventing crime. And it's the same way in which oftentimes I think about signals that we use to measure the health of a neighborhood is a way in which we're like, surveilling each other now, a way for us to keep an eye out on things that are bad. Is that really the most productive way in which we can discuss the health of a neighborhood, right? Shouldn't we understand if everyone, like is everyone in our neighborhood housed? Isn't that a better way of measuring like whether a neighborhood is doing well or not? There's definitely a lot of consumerism that is steering us towards this, what some experts, maybe Dave would call lateral surveillance. We start looking at each other and looking at each other with a lot of suspicion, and I think that becomes, as Dave mentions, like sometimes can become a very addictive kind of like.
0: um, um, Yeah, like voyeurism. It's like you know watching through the window of your neighbor in their home, and I'm thinking about these laws that were just passed. I think in California they go into effect in January to have cameras now on roads throughout LA to take pictures of you, and you know, it's about speeding, right? So to prevent officers from having to pull you over, a camera can take a picture inside your car uh, and you'll get a ticket in the mail because you exceeded the speed limit. But Dave, what about those cameras? I mean, those are also very, very intrusive. They're looking into your vehicle where you do, I think, have some degree of expectation of privacy inside your car. Oh yeah, I mean...
2: It- You know, people will throw technology at any perceived problem and hope it will solve it. And often that's like a political solution. It's it's something where... You're, you look as a lawmaker like you're doing something, even if it's not going to be effective in the end, but it still is going to be harmful. I mean, the the really closer thing, though, uh, to Ring is that we're seeing this proliferation of what are called license plate readers by a company called Flock. And Flock makes these cameras that take a picture of your car. Uh, it fingerprints your car. That's what they call it. The, the make, the model, the color. Does it have damage? Does it have bumper stickers? But it also grabs the license plate. And the company that sells that didn't start with law enforcement, really. They started with homeowners associations going into places mm-hmm. like, saying same, same exact concept as, as Ring. Like we can only sell our technology to so many police departments in the United States. So let's go after people and like, let's convince people that things are scary in the world and you can solve this with consumer electronics. And that's how they get this market share. But one of the interesting things about surveillance technology across the board is that we see two different kinds of disproportionate impact oftentimes it results in commercial businesses high-end retailers white communities you know wealthy communities homeowners associations with like gated communities all see this like additional benefit of that law enforcement is going to respond to them more often because law enforcement has more data from these cameras and these license plate readers and ring um but then the other side is that it has a disproportionate negative impact on communities of color who police and certain communities perceive as more likely to commit crimes, when really they aren't.
0: Yeah, so I'm thinking, so the spot, Dave, homeowners associations buy it. So now if a car comes in the neighborhood that they don't recognize, they now have the fingerprint, as you said, of the car, the make, the model, the license plate, what do they do with it? So I sometimes- mean, yeah. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. yeah, and a similar. Um, I did a story about how
1: package theft became a felony in thirteen different states, um, and um, the the ways in which this kind of partnership happens is that the police might want to investigate a particular thing, and then they go to the neighborhood and they're like, "Can you give us that? Uh, give us that footage?" And oftentimes people will do that. They're like, "Sure, I'll help out." And so what's interesting is that there's this consumer like deputization that's happening. Think Mm -hmm. about the idea of like, I think uh, informally sometimes I would talk to my editor about this as a snitch network. It is the automated way in which Mm -hmm. a lot of this kind of like talking to police, supplying police a lot of information is suddenly put into a much more streamlined, hyper-engineered sort of platform. And that is really, really um, important to kind of consider. We have an old dynamic that has existed for a long time. A lot of homeowners associations, people who are generally more wealthy, generally whiter, working with police. But now we have technology speeding that up and making Mm -hmm. it much more efficient. And that's what Neighbors did. This is what Flock Safety did, as uh, Dave mentioned. And that's what so many other companies are kind of like in the market for as well.
0: Right. So now, uh, Dave, a police comes over there investigating a home robbery, home invasion robbery, and the neighbor says, well, wait a minute, I have this flock footage, right? I can show you every car that came in a neighborhood, you know, for the last week. Is that how they're using this this data from flock, this car fingerprint?
2: All right, so with Ring, I'm going to talk about Ring and Flock because they're, they're very similar and they have integration um, through another company that I'll talk about. Um, but What will happen is if there's a crime, maybe the police come and ask for everybody's Ring footage, or maybe they just do it digitally and they push a notice at people asking for them to share their footage. Um, with Flock, you know, sometimes the Foreigners Association will give live access to police, so police are just getting that data flowing into their office. But then there's a new product, and Lum and I are actually at a police chief's conference right now, and one of the big vendors there is a company called Fuses. And what Fuses offers is for everybody to share their cameras live with police, and it feeds into what's called a real-time crime center. Imagine this like high-tech room with computer, you know, TV monitors everywhere. They're able to live, you know, watch live footage. Ring is one of the products that is compatible with this system. So if you're a homeowner, you could register your camera with them and say, yeah, Please turn on my camera whenever you want. Look through it whenever you want, Um, which I feel like is a very unwise thing to do. I don't think you should give anybody, let alone a police officer, the keys to your home. You should not give a police officer your passwords to anything that you own ever. Uh, If that's the one thing you take away from this interview, (laughs) do not give police your passwords to anything.
0: No, I'm sitting here thinking like, does Reed do it? So it's gonna know, like you said, in real time, everyone that comes to your house, Recording these conversations, we already know your smartphones can be recording conversations, and all the subpoenas and issues that are happening now around police getting uh, folks access to their smartphones because perhaps you've been talking about a crime you were going to commit, and it's gotten picked up on your phone. It's gotten picked up on your uh, what is this, Your Alexa that's in your house that you know that uh, contraption that you can tell to turn on your television and turn your temperature down is also recording you. Uh, there aren't any restrictions. I guess that's what's really concerning me, Lom. The police themselves are not regulating how much of this personal data footage that they're consuming, and there are no laws out there so far uh, that we have talked about. Maybe that you know, when we come forward, you can t- you know share what may be happening at state legislatures around the country to regulate this. But I can see. You know, this is such a slippery slope. Where is the end to this? And you are in some ways, as you said, Dave, just inviting the police into your house, giving them unfettered access. Uh, And there is something called the Constitution that allows us not to allow the police into our, our house, not to allow them to have unfettered opportunities to search our homes. Uh, So I wonder, you know, what the constitutional lawyers and ACLU type lawyers are thinking about all of this surveillance when we come forward and talk about how this surveillance may be, uh, you know, butting up against some of our most cherished constitutional uh, rights. Uh, Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580.
1: You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580.
0: All right, we are back and we are talking with Dave Moss. He is the Director of Investigations, Electronic Frontier Foundation, and Head of the Atlas of Surveillance Project, and also joining us is Lam Vo. She's a professor of journalism at City College of New York and a reporter at The Markup, and we're talking about the uh, proliferation of these surveillance devices that companies are marketing, not just to police departments, but to homeowners associations and to other groups, and how these devices are capturing otherwise private conversations, private moments, And then being shared, and now Dave is telling us that the technology is so advanced that not only can videotape be provided to police after the fact, but there are now efforts by some companies to make that video live uh, and available in the arms or in the hands of police in real time. Dave, this is scary to me. I'm a civil rights lawyer, and I know uh, the rights that people have in terms of allowing police into their homes uh you know there's something called a search warrant and there's something called probable cause and there's you know something called a magistrate judge that has to uh, look over an affidavit that is sworn to by a police officer to indicate that there may be uh that there is evidence of some crime taking place in your residence to even allow a police into your residence and you know to have access to your computer and to your phone but yet, This is kind of circumventing that because what stops someone from turning their ring camera away from the door and pointing it into a window in your house that maybe looks over into a window in someone else's house and captures someone in some kind of, I don't know, criminal activity. And then the police are either watching it in real time because of this new company or it's footage that's shared with the police.
2: Uh, There's very, very little out there to prevent that i'm afraid and so i i wish i could alleviate your fears, so we could all go back and have some tea at night and sleep soundly but um that's not where we are um the you know we hear over and over again that the regulatory landscape the legislative landscape cannot keep up with how fast technology is being developed and the companies know this like they just love looking for like loopholes in the law and figuring out what technology they can introduce that police can use to invade people's privacy just because there isn't a rule against it yet like it's like if there's no rule to do it As opposed to like, let's look at our democratic principles in the society. Let's look at how privacy is a value. California, it's part of the state's constitution that you have a right to privacy. But people aren't thinking about it. Like, what can we get away with? And can we get far enough along with it that when lawmakers try to do something about it, that we can come in and be like, no, you hate the cops. Oh, you hate public safety. Why do you love the criminals? And then politicians get too scared to rein it in.
0: So Lom, in your research for this article that you wrote about ring and social media site neighbors, uh did you talk to any legislators or, you know, are you aware of any efforts uh, to arrest some of this? No pun intended, but just to, you know, pump the brakes because this is scary stuff. I think the hemming and
1: hawing that I get from lawmakers when I speak uh, to them about privacy is like, well, there's no reasonable expectation of privacy because this is out there. And I think one of the things that I'm really excited or interested in exploring more is the idea of the stewardship of this data. What happens when it gets pushed from one place to another and how does it get recontextualized? And I think there's two players, I don't. I hate doing just like doomsday kind of like journalism and making people feel really desperate. So there's two things I wanna give people is you can fight capitalism with capitalism, right? Number one, there's the idea of you putting pressure on these companies. These are private companies. There has been a lot of pressure, for example, on Ring in previous years about their very close partnership uh, with police. And that, that has led to some changes within the company. For example, they updated their community guidelines and were like, well, you know, please do not post something that is not actually a crime. Um, don't refrain from, from looking at posting about speculation and suspicious behavior. Now, do people, keep to that? Are they going to do it? Not necessarily, but um, it is a step, right? And I think there's been a lot of ways in which public pressure from people who are not okay with how this data is being shared can do and have like do a little bit of like, um, have an impact on how these companies conduct conduct themselves. And the second, uh, second thing that I would say might be interesting is actually legislation from abroad. Some of the companies out there, social media companies, other like sort of like surveillance companies and so on, they have to abide by some European standards. Europe has much better laws when it comes to privacy. And honestly, we could really learn a lot from like the ways in which they have, I would call them umbrella laws. They're mm-hmm. not specific to the technology so that those te- um, laws don't get outdated in no time. They're much more specific to protecting data that is personally identifiable, right? And we've seen that with social media companies. Social media companies had to rein in and give users a lot more control over the data collection of the people who are on Facebook, who are now meta, who are on Twitter slash X now, or on Instagram and so on. And now we have this like sort of like um, side effect from these companies having to abide by European laws. And I don't know, maybe maybe some legislators would learn from that (laughs) and um, try to implement something good for that.
0: So Dave, you're at a police captains or police officers convention, and we started this conversation by talking about the disproportionate number of African-Americans, Latino people who are disparaged on these social media platforms that like neighbors that is associated with the ring camera in particular. And these, you know, becomes a form of racial profiling. I've had clients contact me saying that You know, their neighbor, you know, posts these really outlandish things about them when they're just doing ordinary things like gardening in their backyard or watering their lawn. And the neighbor, you know, goes on one of these platforms and talks about them as if they are somehow uh, a criminal or, you know, an intruder or someone that doesn't belong in that neighborhood. Have you seen any technology that's trying to address what has essentially become for a lot of these sites racial profiling by neighbors, of people of color. And and again, taking very innocuous activities that people of color are engaged in and somehow elevating that to suspicious conduct, suspicious behavior.
2: So I don't wanna say that there was nothing there, but I can say that I don't think I saw anything. There were definitely panels that tried to address issues related to racial bias in policing and how you deal with your community, how you recruit more black officers, that sort of thing. But I just think that there just there isn't just this is a very capitalist driven thing that we're dealing with with surveillance. It is companies who are driving it and they are big tech companies. And then there are little tech companies who want to get bought by the big tech companies. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that they look at this and they're like, oh, yeah, this, you know, this police department is going to, you know invest, you know, $600,000 in us doing this sort of thing. Whereas, you know, if we can just generate fear, we're going to have people show up and demand like more technology. And then we can sell that to that technology. We more often see, you know, police showing off gadgets, Uh, you know, like here's the latest, you know, license plate readers, the latest video analytics, AI, AI, AI. Um, The only thing that I've really noticed is that, you know, there's a lot of virtual reality that's supposed to be training police to do a de escalation. But I tried a lot of those, and almost every single one ended up with, like, here, shoot the gun. It's fun, <laughs> um, uh, which was really unfortunate.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not laughing. I'm just, this mind boggling. When we come forward, I, I want to ask you Lam, about, you know, you said earlier that there's no evidence that these surveillance devices are helping decrease crime or are causing more criminals to be caught. So other than just, you know, really d- exposing neighbors, what are we gaining as a society from this proliferation of these surveillance devices uh, more when we come forward? KBLA talk 1580. We're back with professor Lam Vo, who's also a reporter at the markup and Dave Moss. He is our, surveillance guru and we're talking about all of the surveillance that uh, consumers are purchasing surveillance devices that consumers are purchasing that allow police to have a real bird's eye view of what's happening in your home and in your neighborhood so uh, Dave you use the word capitalism a lot throughout this interview uh, because obviously these are private companies that are charging? I assume, is it like a monthly fee or do they sell the technology to police? How are they monetizing these devices?
2: So each company seems to have figured out its own model for it. So if you're, say, Ring, you're not really making that much money off police. Where you are making money is uh, when like a city council decides to do a subsidy program to give members of the community money to install cameras and then share them with Ring. We've seen that throughout the country where the city's actually subsidizing Ring and only Ring. Um, Or what we saw in LAPD, which was, uh, this is one of the grossest things I've ever seen. So we also looked at some emails for how Ring got into LAPD. And they were just giving out free Ring cameras to cops left and right, giving them discount coupons. And in exchange, like, once a police officer had convinced 10 other people to, you know, buy body, buy ring cameras, he would then get in free ring camera. And you would see like a guy, you know, contact ring saying, Hey, my Lieutenant like wants to put some of it at, at his house. Can you send me some free ones? And they're like, sure. But can we put up a, a banner at your next community gathering? Can you bring us in to come talk at your public safety meeting with, you know, local pastors? Um, so ultimately, like, You know, Ring isn't necessarily making stuff that often from police, but they know that police are good influencers for them, and they are a good way to get into the community, and that a police giving the imprimatur, giving the endorsement for their product is invaluable, um, totally invaluable, because people are inclined that they hear a police officer say, this is going to keep you safe. They're like, oh, well, that's going to keep me safe, when really it didn't, and you didn't see the background behind it.
0: Well, mm-hmm. that's who I, I want to no talk sense. about that, long. Let's talk about the background and the safety issue. Are there any reliable scientific reports that uh, draw a correlation between having a ring camera, for example, and having you know seen a market reduction in crime in a particular neighborhood? It depends on who you ask. But I ask experts who have been studying this and the people who
1: have been looking into Again, package theft is the, one of the biggest topics on these um, on these platforms. Let's, let's look at that. They were saying that there's not really a good uh, correlation between having a camera and then having that be reduced. And to some degree, it makes sense. If you're putting a package on a porch, it's probably not going to be um, – it, it, it creates a social problem. Someone might go by and steal it, and this just happens all over the country. And this is also a social problem that was created by a new way of living introduced by a private company, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think what we're seeing a lot is that people are buying surveillance gear as a pl- placebo to feel safer when it doesn't actually make the neighborhood safer. It's not gonna stop people from um, 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 stealing small things that they see uh, on a porch. And it's also not gonna stop some of the, the social ails that people see on these cameras. The biggest thing that I noticed uh, in, some of this, um, uh, in some of the posts that I analyzed, and we looked at thousands of posts, is that um, a lot of it is people being uncomfortable with poverty. Right. A lot Mm. of it is people being uncomfortable, seeing homeless people in their neighborhood. And that intersects with race, that intersects with people being um, being Latino, that intersects with people being black. And oftentimes that is a coded way of saying, I don't think this person belongs here. They should not belong here. I am kind of uncomfortable. Let me put it out on the Internet. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is the kind of way in which then you start seeing messages over and over again that are about quality of life policing. And that is quality of life for whom, right? Like that's the question right. behind this. And that's
0: and- the coded language of the quality of life. But well, let me ask you this, Dave. So Lom says she didn't see any credible evidence of a reduction in, in package theft because of these cameras. Have you seen any data? And if not, how are these, market- how are these companies marketing themselves? Because typically, if you have a product like that, you've got to come in with some stats. You've got to show you know, a hundred people in this block are using this camera or this car fingerprinting app. And, you know, crime was at 50% and now there's a reduction of 25% and we can tie it to this particular, you know, surveillance mechanism. So is have you seen any data out there like that to support?
2: I mean, have I seen press releases from a company interpreting the data in the way that makes it like look in the best light. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen companies say, oh, you know, there was like a reduction in crime in this area and then implying that it's because of their technology that that's why crime went down, ignoring that crime is going down everywhere or, you know, um, and they're never going to put out a, a, a press release that says, oh, crime stayed the same or crime got worse because ultimately crime is affected by a whole bunch of other factors that have nothing to do with surveillance. Uh, but data is really bad when it comes from police about you know what's a crime and what's not a crime because you know at the end of the day there are a lot of communities that don't feel comfortable calling the police when crimes have happened and they're always going to be undercounted
1: right
2: but just sort of anecdotally like in my lifetime I don't feel like I've heard anyone say wow, crime is a lot better these days. I feel so much safer and yet technology more and more entering our society and every time there's like a new crisis like, you know now the thing is like sideshows. That's a really big thing. Last year it was like you know flash mobs at retail stores. There's always some new thing. What's a sideshow day? Oh oh gosh, um, I have never seen one myself. It's never appeared, but it's you know a bunch of people converge on an intersection and do some crazy driving. I, I, oh, <laughs> I'm not okay. an expert in this.
0: Yeah, I was just I curious.
2: Cops, compo- Yeah, uh, you know, it's 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 like the new fear thing. Where I live in Reno, this is like a big thing. You know, people take over an intersection, do donuts. I feel like I'm right. going off
0: topic. No, I, I get it. I get <laughs> what you're saying. But let me yeah. ask you this, um, have Black residents, how are they, how are Black residents responding? Because like I said, I've had clients in my office, my law firm come in telling me that they've been targeted by their neighbors, that their neighbors are you know, posting all of these salacious and false statements about them on some of these surveillance social media sites. Have you seen Black residents sue or protest or you know take any action to push back on this racial profiling that happens on some of these sites?
1: You know, what's really sad is
0: that I think the people I
1: talk to, they I just remember them telling me, well, you know, it is what it is. You know, we have no reasonable expectations of this. And like a lot of people, I think in general, overall, people have kind of given up on their Mm. privacy. Right. And Mm -hmm. then on top of that, oh, wow, racial discrimination from my neighbor. This happens. I'm just going to live my life, you know? And I think I've seen a lot of this kind of like resignation. I will say that there is a way of you feeling more empowered if you learn about the technology and can speak in that vocabulary and push back. And I think that's something that needs to be happening a little bit more. And that has to do with like understanding also what is the system that they're plugging in and like how much more transparent could the police be about how many data sources they use. If people were feeling more empowered, maybe they would also speak up more.
0: Good point. And so, David, let's try to end this on a positive note. I don't know if butterflies or bouquets are going to float past your face, but uh, what's going on with, you know, tell us. Let me start over. Are there any positive ways that these surveillance cameras and apps uh, can help communities, whether it's a community of color or not? Have you seen these surveillance, you know, m- mechanisms be used in a positive way?
2: Oh, that is such a hard question. Um, the thing that comes to mind um, was in Vallejo, California, where they had applied image recognition technology, um, uh, various various kinds of recognition, not just image, but you know, various artificial intelligence to try to analyze body worn camera footage and audio to see if police were me- be- misbehaving to try to catch police and identify people who were working against policy maybe verbally abusing people. and it was very short-lived because the police union came and killed that program in Vallejo and so it doesn't it doesn't exist anymore um so you know I am sure if we we dug deep we might find the occasional case here and there where the existence of a of a camera exonerated somebody um <laughs> but I would say that you know on balance for every case where you find it found somebody you know prove somebody's innocence, there's probably 100 or 200 cases where somebody innocent was pulled into the criminal justice system because of a surveillance technology. Well, we
0: know there's some lawsuits pending now around this facial recognition by black uh, individuals who have been falsely arrested and accused because of, you know, false, uh, you know, some falsity with respect to this facial recognition. We're running out of time, but I do want to give you the last comment, Lam. Uh What should. Black people and brown people in these neighborhoods know about this technology that perhaps they don't know? Like give us, leave us with a piece of advice.
1: Find your community organization. There's one in LA called Stop Spying LAPD, and you can find, enforce the, uh, your police department to give more transparency to them. And I think that organization, for example, gives a lot of um, advice on how to file your own Freedom of Information Act requests um, um, or public records requests just to force people to reckon with the fact that this might be an intrusion into their privacy. I always like to think that people who are subject to something that is unjust are not without agency. And I think that's something that I would really
0: love for people to take away from this. I love that. Get connected to an organization in your community, find out about the, you know, the prevalence of these surveillance cameras in your neighborhood and find out how you can uh you know, find out how to find out, find out how to recognize how your police department in your neighborhood is using all of this information. Uh, and if you don't like it, then say something about it. Stand up and perhaps you know get your community involved because you do need to have a say in this and you do, as Alam said, have agency. Thank you so much. Uh, Alam and Dave. Great conversation. Great information. Really appreciate the work that you both are doing in terms of raising awareness about this. This is definitely a topic more people need to know a lot more about. Again, thanks for your time. And the next voice that you hear will be Robin Ayers and the Raw Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Don't touch that dial.